starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Good evening. Welcome to Regeneration. My name is Albert. Uh, So here we are in chapter 10. We're going to finish off this chapter, starting in verse 38. And this particular story about Mary and Martha is is a pretty well-known story. I think a lot of people know this story. But the funny thing is it's only found in the Gospel of Luke. And we know that they also had a brother that lived with them. Uh, That's not mentioned in this story. And I think it's because his brother was really smart. Um, I think he knew about his sister Martha getting all worked up about situations like this. And he was like, I'm going fishing. And I'm not going to deal with you guys. And so he headed off. But typically, when a guest comes over to your house, typically you're on your best behavior, aren't you? You have disagreements with your spouse or with your siblings or your roommates. or You kind of put all those things to the side and you're, you're usually on your best behavior until the guest leaves. And then you're like, why did you set the table up like this? Or why did you play that kind of music? That music's so lame. Or why didn't you clean this or that? And usually that's what happens. That's not Martha. Martha is your type A personality doesn't wait for the confrontation later. She wants to deal with it now. She does not have a problem, no matter who the guest is, even if it's God, to tell you what's wrong. This is Martha. Now, you have to be pretty comfortable with your guest in order to do this, right? Like, you, you don't just fight with anybody unless you're like my in-laws. They do it with who? They don't care. The first time I met them, they were going at it. I was like, oh, my gosh. And my wife was like, that's it. This guy's not, he's not going to date me. But I stuck it through. And we're here now, eight years later. But anyway, this story gives us a glimpse of how close Mary, Martha, Lazarus, how close they are to Jesus. Because they're this comfortable. They're, they're, they're okay to, to kind of like air the dirty laundry. I don't care. I'm going to say how it is. I'm going to speak my mind. And actually in John chapter 11, verse 5, it tells us how close these three people were to Jesus. It says there, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So these guys have a really nice friendship bond with Jesus. Now in verse 38 it says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. The village's name is not given to us, but we know that this village is called Bethany. The village's name is Bethany. And so a little bit of background on this village called Bethany. Jerusalem, Imagine if you can imagine Jerusalem here It is two miles east of Jerusalem. It's on the eastern slope of Mount Olivet, and that's where you'll find Bethany. It was a main road that goes east. to Anything going east to Transjordan, you had to walk this road. And so there's this road, and it, it talks about in John chapter 11, verse 18. And we know that from the Gospels that Jesus visited Bethany on several occasions. One of those occasions was in Matthew chapter 21, verse 17, Jesus lodged in Bethany. Another occurrence was in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6, Jesus was in Bethany and in the house of Simon the leper. And so there are other accounts of Jesus being in Bethany as well. 
So imagine for, for, with me for just a moment. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, he said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, with that as a background, imagine Bethany and Jesus walking there. Imagine the comfort that Bethany offered him. It was like Motel 6. Right? It's so comforting. And a place where he found lodging. A place where he found a, a, a pillow to lay his head. A, a place where he had friends that treated him with great hospitality, where, where he could get a home-cooked meal. Um, this, this was a place that he was really familiar with and that was good to him. The people there were good to him there. And so this was a place that was even the place of his ascension. The last place he was before he went to heaven. Luke chapter 24, verses 50 and 51. He ascended from Bethany. So this is a really, really special place for Jesus. Now before we get into this any further, I want to take a look, look at chapter 10 in its entirety and outside of just this text that we're like taking a look at today. Because I think there's a theme if we look at the whole chapter in its entirety. The first story in chapter 10 is about the sending of the 72 and the 72 coming back. The second story is the parable of the Good Samaritan when the lawyer asks, you know, about the inheritance of eternal life and who is my neighbor. And then this is the third story, the story about Mary and Martha. Now, all three have a common thread in this in that Jesus is their teacher. And as the teacher, Jesus is growing his audience's understanding about what he's all about. And in each of these three stories in chapter 10, Jesus is correcting them about the way that they see things, about the way that they are understanding things. And he's using that as an opportunity to kind of shift their thinking a bit and shift how they look at things a bit. For example, in verse 17 of chapter 10 of Luke, it said, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But then you go down to verse 20 and Jesus corrects them and we find Jesus saying, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he corrects them. He kind of gives them a shift a little bit, saying like, you know, you guys are kind of celebrating the wrong things. I know you guys are doing this really cool stuff, but the real reason to celebrate is you have everlasting life with me. Not that you get to do all this cool stuff. And then you go into the parable of the Good Samaritan, verse 25. The lawyer asked Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then in verse 29, the lawyer asked, And who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives this teaching through this parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus addressed the lawyer's questions by pointing out that the lawyer's questions aren't really about inheriting eternal life or about who is, the who is his neighbor. The real question for him to address is whether he was a real neighbor to people in need. And that's the real question. Not about who is your neighbor, but if you are a good neighbor. And so here we are, the third story, and we have this trend. We have this theme happening here, and there's this theme about doing. Doing. What the 72 did in Jesus' name. And the lawyer asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And in our story this evening, Martha said in verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve doing alone? Tell her then to help me doing. 
So there's this theme about doing. And how does Jesus respond? Take a look at verses 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So in other words, Martha, you've got to chill out about doing all this stuff and just take a look at, at being, at being in the presence of Jesus. And so there's this theme in chapter 10, and it is to be primarily concerned with who we are. And to be secondarily concerned with what we do. To make the first things first. And first of all, what is God doing with us? And after we know that, after we know that by sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to Him, what are we to do with that? So it's not a a one or the other proposition. It's both. You're doing both. It's just that there's an order to doing things. There's a priority in doing things. And I don't think this is some duel between doing and not doing. And that it's such a black and white issue that it's just one or the other. Because I've, I've, I've heard this taught in this way. right? That it's all about sitting at Jesus' feet and you're too busy about doing stuff. But I don't think it's like that. I don't think it's in competition with one another. I think Jesus is pointing out priorities. These are two very important things. Listening to Jesus, sitting at his feet, and doing things. Doing ministry. Those are two important things. But the first priority is to listen to God. That's the first priority. And from that, we act upon what he tells us. Not independent of him, but with what he tells us. And what I found is that I often do before I seek what he really wants. And I actually find this passage really uncanny for me at this particular moment in my life because I just came back from a senior pastor's conference and this is precisely something that the Holy Spirit has been convicting me of. Right? And, and if you have had a conversation with anybody in our ministry staff or our interns, they'll tell you how the Holy Spirit has been ministering to me in regards to this very subject because I've had to confess to them some of these things that I, I just haven't been really good at. And so there are these ministries that we as a church have done, that I personally have done, but they were ministries that were done without sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I just thought that there were good things to do and good things to serve and good things to get involved with the community, and I just did it. Let's look back to verses 38 and 39. It said, And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And I had to repent about this. I wasn't being a very good Mary. I was being more of a Martha here. And so there are these things that I've done in Jesus' name. And there are these things that I've been focused on doing because I thought they were signs that, that, we, that I've inherited eternal life. But I wasn't more rejoicing that my name is but written in the book of life. And I wasn't asking the right questions. And I wasn't always sitting at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching and then doing what he wanted me to do. And so I've been so distracted with serving that that I have been wanting God to bless what we have been doing rather than rejoicing that my name is written in the book of life. 
Right? And we've been coming up with these ministry ideas and asking wrong questions as a church. So me personally and as a church, I think there's some stuff that we can work on. And so how prideful I am to think that God answers to me. Right? God bless me. God bless us because we're, we're doing this or we're doing that. When, we have, when, when there have been cases that we didn't even sit at his feet to listen to his direction about what we are to do. And we're just busy doing. And how often I've been guilty of doing things before checking with God. And how often I've been guilty of asking God for things uh, to, to do uh, before I sit at His feet and ask Him. I'm just out there doing and then I'm asking Him to bless it. As though like I dictate what He blesses and doesn't bless as opposed to asking, what do you want me to do? And so do you notice in our text, who never says a word? Doesn't say a word. And it's Mary. And she's really, really good at listening. And you know, I've heard a lot of criticisms about regeneration, which I think is a really good thing. I think it helps us grow. I think the feedback helps us to, to learn. And one of the ones that I've recently heard is this issue about um, human trafficking. Right? That... that that you know, you 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 guys talk a lot about it, but you don't do a lot of things about it. And, but I've heard on other issues as well. I'm just kind of picking that one in particular up because that's kind of the the hot topic, and people like talking about that. And so there are things that we have done at Regeneration, and right now is not the time for me to justify what we've done about that. Maybe I'll do that later, but not right now. And I think this is a time for us to just sit at the Lord's feet to listen. To listen to his teaching about what he thinks about this, what he desires for us to do about this, how he wants us to respond and go from that. Not for us to just go gung-ho and just kind of trailblaze out there and just do all these different things out of our own flesh, really. You know, getting all excited and stuff. But to sit at his feet and ask him, what do you want us to do about this subject, if anything at all? Because are we going to be content with that? Because that's something that I really struggled with also with God. Because I was confronted with God in that he, he mentioned, if, if I gave you the size of the church you have now or less, would you be okay with that? And I had to be honest. I said, no, I'm not. I want to grow a bigger church, God. And so then he, he, he pointed my children out to me. And he said, would you replace any of those kids? And I said, no. No way. If I made them smarter, if I made them this or that or anything more, would you trade anything? I was like, no way. I like, that's, those are my kids. That's the way I want them. I don't want any difference. And he convicted me about our church. And he said, why can't you have the same heart about the church I've given you? So I had to sit with that. And I think that's with any other ministry as well. When we get so amped up and saying like, why aren't you guys doing this? Or why aren't you guys doing what I think you guys should be doing we have to be content with what the Lord has given us. And we have to sit with it and pray through it and follow his direction to go do whatever we need to do next. And not just kind of like amp ourselves up and just do things out of our own flesh. And I'd love for our church to be pointed at by people, shaking their heads in disbelief and asking, how in the world did they do that? 
And the only answer that they can point to is God. Because I think that when we do things out of our flesh, when we do things out of our own skill set and our own giftings and our own ideas, people point to us. And the glory and the honor is not given to God. It is not bigger than what we can do. Because God hasn't entered that. And so he allows us to work in our flesh. Hey, if that's what you want to do, then that's it. But that's how it's going to stay. It's just going to stay there. And I want so bad for the work of the Holy Spirit to be real and so much greater than what we can do for ourselves. Why? Because I love Oakland. And that's the only thing that's going to change Oakland. It's God. It's not all of us being advocates and activists and and taking the city by storm. We're too small to do anything like that. If you don't believe me, MSNBC ran a story several weeks ago ranking Oakland the sixth most dangerous city in America. Sixth out of thousands. It has the tenth highest rate of rape, the ninth highest rate of murder, I think we're at 38. The second highest robbery rate in the country. And I read in another report that it was the first in motor vehicle thefts and the fifth most dangerous city. What's going to change our city? It's only God. For those type of statistics, you think that we could do it on our own? It's only through God. And so let's take a closer look at these three characters of our story here. And we'll start with Martha because she kind of kicks off this text here in verse 38. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She welcomed Jesus into their home. And I think she's the eldest child because she exhibits traits of the eldest sibling. You know, there's just a take charge mentality and, you know, type A personality, bossing people around, telling people what to do, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I see some of you smiling because you either must be an older sibling or you have an older sibling like, yeah, they're, they're a jerk. They're telling me what to do all my life. But in this culture, typically the eldest sibling would be the one that would be in charge of hospitality. So this is a very good chance that she is the eldest sibling here. And, and hospitality is actually a very, very good thing. It's a wonderful thing to welcome somebody into your house, to welcome them into your church, to welcome them into your community. It's a very good thing. But this thing that started out a really good thing doesn't end up as such a good thing. She, she doesn't kind of carry it through. So not all things that start out good end up good. And we all know this. Right? We all know that some of our greatest strengths can actually turn out to be some of our greatest weaknesses. Right? So that's kind of what happened here. Martha and Mary, they probably were very hospitable people, as many people in the region are in the Middle East. This is a very uh, highly uh, desired character trait amongst people there. And, and so they probably had their routines down as to who would do what uh, when someone came into the house. And, you know, like in, like in my home. Right? If, if someone came into my home and, and they were a closer friend of mine than they were of my wife, I would kind of take them into the living room and we would kind of talk and stuff and my wife would prepare a meal. And if it was the other way around, you know, if they were a closer friend of hers, then you know, she would kind of talk with them and entertain them and I would go prepare the meal. The only time that it's not like that is when it comes to grilling. I don't know why that is, but you know, when it comes to grilling, I, I'm the cook. So that's, that's what happens. But anyway, verse 40 Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
Tell her then to help me. So Martha was distracted and with much serving, meaning that she wasn't Mary Martha, and that Mary was Mary Mary, but Martha wasn't so Mary. And it seems that Martha made her task really complicated, that she was doing more than, than what had to be done. Right, Because if it was just something real simple like PB&J and a glass of milk, she probably wouldn't have gotten so flustered here. So I think she's kind of doing more than she uh, necessarily had to do. And it's a really, really nice gesture. You have a special guest coming into your, your home. You want to prepare something extra special for that guest, right? So, so I, I get this. I get that Martha was trying really hard to serve God and serve Jesus and wanting to do something really nice. But because of her wanting to do something really special, let's just say like she was roasting a turkey or something and making the stuffing and mashing potatoes and putting out the whole spread instead of making PB&J, she had her mindset set on doing something special that pulled her away from what was truly special. Simply sitting at Jesus' feet like her sister Mary, and listening to him. She didn't have to do all this fancy stuff. And this is kind of like how ministry is too with us. You know, we want to do these grandiose things with ministry. We want to do these great things with ministry. And we get busy doing all this stuff. But the thing is, did we even ask Jesus if he wanted that? Are we busy roasting turkey when he's cool with PB&J? You know, and so it's funny how we let tasks get in the way of what's truly important. And one would think that, that Martha was truly selfless and that she wanted to serve Jesus. She, she, was, she was really being selfless. And I tend to think that her act of service was selfish rather than selfless because I think it was more for her. It, it's what made her feel good that she was being a good host, that she was going to do something special, that, she, that it made her feel a certain way, that it was more for her than it was for Jesus. And how many of our times during a service are like this? You know, where, where it's, it's actually more for us than it is for other people. And how many of our ministries are like this in that it, it's self-serving to us to a certain extent of, instead of looking at the people? Where it's more for us than it is for the people we serve, right? Than, than, than the God we serve. And I think this was the case for Martha wanting to meet her own expectations rather than looking at what Jesus wanted, at what he was wanting from them. And sometimes this is me. This is me where, where I, I look to do things to meet my own expectations and, and I find that just burdensome sometimes. You know, that I have to keep on doing stuff and where I look to do things to meet my expectations. And, and it's kind of like how Martha finds herself in this situation. You, know, you have these expectations about what you should be doing spiritually, about what you should be doing in ministry, in service, and it just becomes burdensome and you find yourself grumpy like Martha rather than happy like Mary, just happy as a clam sitting at Jesus' feet and chilling out. And we find ourselves grumpy serving Jesus. Why is that? Why do we find ourselves burnt out a lot of times? And grumpy and agitated and pointing at other people and saying, why don't they do something? Why don't, I've been serving in children's ministry for so long. Why don't we have other people do stuff? Or I've been doing homeless ministry for so long. How come more people in the church don't do stuff? 
look at the text in that Jesus wasn't the one who placed these expectations on Martha. He wasn't the one asking for this stuff, needing this stuff. She did that to herself. So are there some things that we as a church that we've just done to ourselves? Or that you as a ministry leader that you've done to yourself? Her acts of service, those were self-imposed acts here. And it was something that she was requiring of herself. Thinking that these acts of service are what Jesus wanted when it wasn't. He was fine. He was good kicking back there and having someone sit at his feet and listen to him. Now, if you're just grumpy in your service, in ministry, to, the, to God, to the Lord, you have to ask yourself if you're really serving him or if you're serving yourself. That you're just kind of doing this on your, out of your own expectations of what you think service should look like. And maybe that's why you're getting so tired. And maybe that's why you're getting burnt out and getting grumpy. And it's not that Martha is bad and Mary is good. It's not that kind of a dichotomy. I think they're both good people. These are both people that Jesus loved them. Jesus loved them the same. He mentions that in the Gospel of John. It didn't say that he loves one more than the other. He loved them. He loved all three of those siblings. And it's just that Martha has her priorities kind of out of whack in this story. They're not, they're not in the proper priority. And even though her heart behind what she was doing things, it, her heart behind it was she meant to serve. Right? She meant to serve Jesus. And she, she really, really wants to take care of Jesus. She wants to serve Jesus. Interesting that her priorities are still not right though, isn't it? You would think like, oh, she wants to serve God. That's all you need. That's not true. Verses 41 and 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And it's not that what she did was wrong. What she did was good. She didn't do anything wrong. Her actions were not wrong. Wanting to serve Jesus is not wrong. It was her attitude that stunk. That's the problem there. She really wanted to do something good for Jesus. And in that, she ended up doing something not so good. She was determined to serve Jesus, but it wasn't completely pure. Her attitude behind that was producing something not so good. And it brought this discord in her relationship with her sister. It brought this discord in her relationship with Jesus. Now, Mary doesn't strike me as a passive-aggressive type, you know, and I can appreciate a person like this. You know, she's frank. She's a straight shooter. She just tells it like it is. And it's not just here in Luke, because you can read about her in John chapter 11, verse 21 as well. In John chapter 11, verse 21, it says, Martha said this to Jesus. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's talking about Lazarus. So she's a straight shooter, right? She doesn't hold any punches. She just tells you like it is. Where is Mary in that story in John chapter 11? Just look at a verse previous, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Type A Martha. She's like, out the door. I'm going. Where's that guy? I need to talk to him. I need to tell him some things. Where was Mary? But Mary remained seated in the house. Mary is really, really good at sitting. Like, I mean, 
Her brother died. She's sitting. You know, in, in our text here, her, her sister's busy serving. She's chilling, listening to Jesus. She's really good at sitting. This is not Martha at all. Martha, she tells it like it is. And back in verse 40, she says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. That's just pretty gutsy, Martha. She's, she's, she just says it. And she, she, I think this is kind of rude. I think the way she's approaching this is kind of rude. She's telling Jesus what to do. God. After asking a leading question, did you see her leading question? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Like, you know, this is a leading question here. So we have Martha, who's just distracted. She's anxious. She's all grumpy. Now let's take a look at sitting Mary. Likes to sit and be quiet. By the way, this is the same Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. This is the same Mary. John chapter 11, verse 2. Same Mary. Yeah, she likes to be sitting or kneeling on her feet or something. It kind of makes me wonder. Does she have legs or something? Anyway, verse 39. We find Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. And this is actually a very, very unusual posture. Because back in this day, a rabbi teaching, they typically would not allow a woman to sit sit at their feet to hear from their teaching. This is not something that is usual. So there was this belief by the Jews back at this time that the words of the Torah shouldn't be dispensed to women. Yet here we have Jesus teaching women, which I find this very fascinating. Women's testimonies weren't even allowed in court. Yet the Gospels, eyewitnesses account, eyewitness accounts of, of Jesus, of His Gospel, of His good news, there are tons of testimonies of women. He did not care if they were allowed in court or not. Because they were just fact. It doesn't matter if your legal system says that they're allowed in court or not. This is fact. And so here He, he brings dignity to women. He shows them dignity. He invites them to sit at His feet to learn from Him. And when Mary had the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet to hear from Him, she dropped everything. I think it's multifaceted as to the reasons why. One of them is that it's, it's Jesus. It's, it's God. So I'm going to drop anything regardless. But secondarily... This invitation never happened for women. To be taught by a rabbi sitting at his feet? She, yeah. I want to learn. I'm hungry for this knowledge. I'm not going to do anything except sit here and learn. So this wasn't something that women got to do. And she, she wasn't going to let this passer by. I'm not serving. I'm not doing anything else. He invited me to sit here and learn. That's what I'm doing. And so she was ready to learn. She was ready to receive from Jesus. Her sister, though, kind of just goes along with the usual thing. With a good heart, though, I think. I think she really wanted to serve Jesus. But she was determined to serve the Lord. While Mary was determined to listen to the Lord. Neither one is wrong to do. They're both good. But there is a priority in terms of the order of how things happen. The priority is to sit at his feet and to listen to him. 
And yes, we have to act. We have to do something. Read the book of James. We have to do something. But we do what we hear. Not just do out of our own independent thought and do whatever. We do what we hear from him. But it's important to sit and to really listen to Jesus before we go about getting busy of doing things. Martha asked Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I've always wondered about if Mary would talk. And if Mary spoke, she has a very legitimate question to ask her sister and to tell Jesus. She could say, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left you to serve you? And tell her, to listen to you. You know, that would be a legitimate concern, right? Right? For Martha, Martha, slow down. You gotta listen to Jesus. Right? And, and so the spirit we have behind the service, that must first be met by the spirit of hearing the voice of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. So you know the order there. You you, you get the order there? That to belong to Jesus means we hear his voice. And indication that Jesus knows us is that we follow him. We hear his voice to follow him. We don't just do something. We listen for it. We listen to it. He's our master. He's whom we listen to. It's not something that we just kind of do on our own independent thinking. That's, that's just something that I struggle with personally. I struggle with this. Sometimes I'm, I'm really just going for things. I'm doing things. I'm wanting to stay busy and, and, and I want to serve God and I'm thinking of all these ways to do these things. But what I really need to do is I need to seek God's voice in prayer in meditation, in studying, in sitting, and waiting for Him to direct me, as opposed to just kind of just going and doing something. This is partially why I like listening to people preach and teach the Word of God. I I really enjoy this. I like going to conferences, seminars, uh, workshops, fellowships. I like going to other churches, hearing people preach and teach. I'm on iTunes all the time. I, I have a ton of tapes and CDs and all this kind of stuff. I just get a lot out of it, even when it's bad. I get a lot out of it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the type of guy that just says, like, I only listen to five-star stuff, or I only listen to guys with a church of 10,000 and more, or whatever. I, I, I listen to a lot of stuff. Because I'm not looking for a man to speak to me. I'm, listen, I'm looking for God to speak to me. And if those people are godly people, I'm not looking at the person behind the pulpit. I'm looking for, I'm seeking the Holy Spirit in that. And I have to be completely honest with you. The senior pastor's conference I went to and the speakers, I was bored out of my mind. I was falling asleep. I was, I, I couldn't stay awake. I, I, I just, the, 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 this thing was about passion. And I was just like, Are you, no, this is not passionate at all. Like, oh, help me. But God spoke to me. God spoke to me, and it wasn't necessarily because of someone's teaching. He was speaking to me thing, to things that, that were just going through my mind, that I was praying about, that I was thinking about when I took long walks, and he was talking to me about these things when I sat there, and they were talking about something totally different, but God was speaking to me about stuff. And I think that happens here too. 
There was a brother in the morning service, and he, he wrote a bunch of notes for me, and he handed it to me. And it was nothing to do with my sermon. And he was like, yeah, the, God was ministering to me in this way and gave it to me. And I was like, oh, you weren't listening to me. Like, you know, like I took it kind of personal. Like, oh, he's not listening to me. But I read his notes, and I was like, wow, this totally ministers to me. This is cool. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. And I really like to hear people teach, even at this pulpit. A lot of times when someone's teaching from this pulpit, I'm sitting out here. And it's not because, oh, he's lazy, he doesn't want to do this. No, we have some really great people like Dave Carroll from Gospel for Asia. I want to hear him. We have our interns teaching you know, several weeks ago. I want to hear them. God speaks to them. He doesn't just speak through me. He speaks to them. I learn so much. I, I, I listen to people preach and teach almost every day. Our, our interns, I think, are supposed to listen to six sermons a week. Right? So almost every day they listen to one, and then on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, virtually every day they listen to a sermon. I'm not telling them to do something that I don't personally do. I listen to several. And I'm not tooting my own horn. It's just that I like the Word of God just washing me over. I like hearing all this stuff. And I, and I, and I gain so much from it. And so being a disciple of Jesus isn't about just being busy listening to information or doing ministry or all this kind of stuff. What it is is you just have to look no further than Mary. Sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. And that could be in a lot of different ways. You know, driving, walking, your commute, uh, however you do it, walking your dog. It's just stuff. And you get busy listening to Jesus. So may we as a church be busy, not about ministry, but about sitting at the Lord's feet. Because we are so good about doing stuff. For the size of our church, and you look at how much we do, you just get tired looking at it, don't you? I mean, I look at the website sometimes, I'm like, oh my gosh, how do we do all this stuff? Or I get all these different things on our bulletin and on our staff meetings, we have all these things planned out as what do we want to do. I get tired sometimes. But here we are as a very active church, but let's get our priorities straight. Let's get our priorities straight. Let's focus on listening before we do anything. Let's not let others pressure us into doing things or pressure ourselves into doing things. Let's let Jesus guide us. Let's let Jesus guide us and listen to him and do according to what we've heard from him. Something that we're going to have to do, I have an elders meeting on Tuesday and you guys can please pray for us. But we're going to talk about our ministries. And we're going to talk about, is this what God wanted us to do or did we just do this on our own? So I don't know what God's going to say. I don't have an agenda in mind of saying like, oh, we're going to cut this and this or add this or add this. I don't have any agenda in mind. What I plan for us to do as an eldership is sit at Jesus' feet and listen. And whatever he says, do it. And that's what, I, that's what I'd like to do. And I hope I'm brave enough and courageous enough to do that. Because I'm, I'm afraid of some of the tough decisions we have to make. But where do you sit at the Lord's feet? Where do you listen to Jesus? Is listening to Jesus a priority in your life? And do you find yourself doing more than listening? That's okay to do if He told you to do it. 
But if you're just doing and busy and stuff, are you listening? And how about falling in love with listening to Jesus? And if you do that, I'm sure that you're going to be less grumpy about your ministries and about serving. And I'm sure you're not going to experience burnout uh, regarding service. Are you in love with hearing the word of God, being preached, being taught, reading it? And I'm not saying that doing is not important. Doing is really important. Serving is really important. But don't let it come before hearing from the Lord. You have to hear from Him first. Lastly, let's look at Jesus. Verses 41 and 42. I want you to notice the tone of Jesus here. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You notice that Jesus is not harsh towards Martha. It's pretty tender, considering how she's kind of like, tell her what to do, all this stuff, right? He, he knows how Martha is, and he's totally kind, he's totally tender, even when she's kind of nasty. And Jesus understood what Martha was doing here. She, he, he understands that she's trying to do something good. She's trying to do something special. But because of her priorities in doing before listening, it got her to a place of anxiety. It got her to a place of trouble. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What was Paul saying essentially? Essentially, Paul was saying, sit at the Lord's feet. Right? In everything, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Sit at His feet. Martha's problem wasn't that she did something. That's not her problem. What she did was good. It was how she went about it. Right? Her attitude, her heart, those things weren't so good. Now, isn't this so familiar to some of us? If you're married... Right? When you guys fight, or if you're soon to be married, this is something good for you too. A lot of times, what you do and what you say isn't the bad thing. It's a totally legitimate good thing. It's how you say it and how you do something that really causes you problems. You're going to thank me later. I was at Bake Sale Betty's a few days ago, and so I'm standing in line. Waiting for my chicken sandwich, and uh, a guy behind me starts yelling at his wife. How many sandwiches do you want me to get? Well, that's just too many. I don't want to get three. He's not even home yet from school. And no, they're not good when they're an hour later. They're all soggy. They're good only fresh. What he said, there's nothing wrong with that, is it? If you take my tone out of it, there's nothing wrong with it. How many sandwiches do we need? Three is too many. He's not back from school yet. None of those things are bad things for him to say. What he said 
Nothing's wrong with what he said. What he said is right. Those are good questions. And then he grabs them, and I'm kind of intimidated because there's like this big yelling voice, and I look back and I don't see anyone because he's this tall. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. He was a mad guy. And so he gets his sandwiches, and he's right behind me, and I'm getting my sandwiches, and he walks right by me. He's behind me before, and then he zooms by me, and we're walking across the street, and he gets to his car, and he throws his sandwich bag in there, and he's, I, I can't hear him, he's like, I can see his face, though, his neck bulging and stuff. He probably said good things again, though. <laughs> it's just how he said it. And then he slams the door. And his wife was so sweet. She's just smiling there like this. How come, how come those nice women always get guys like that? I don't understand. I don't understand that at all. But it was how he did things. Right? It was how he uh, talked on the phone. How he had the grumpy face. How he walked back to his car with his little short stubby legs. And how he slammed the door and all this kind of stuff. Right? It's a hard issue. It's an attitude issue. What he said is fine. It's perfectly fine. What about parents and children? Parents and children. This is, I think I'm the only one with a child here. Oh no, maybe not. No, no, no. no. Yay, yay. Um, woo, four. Okay. One more, I'm going to catch up. No. Um, what you're teaching your children isn't necessarily bad. What you say to them, how you go about it, woo, different thing. Different thing, right? This is me last night at my house. Go to bed! Nothing wrong with what I said. 9.30, three years old, yeah, go to bed. Totally legitimate thing. How I did it, not so good. I had, to, I had to repent. I had to tell my daughter I was sorry. Sorry I lost my temper. I really want her to go to bed, and I just don't want her to get sick and get ready for the next day, you know, and, and stuff. And, and then the next morning, I had to make sure everything okay, and we cuddled in the morning for a little bit before I came to church. That's why I was a little late. But are we discipling them, or are we scaring them? What you say is legit. Pick up your toys. Pick up those bleep toys. Yeah. How you say things. Right? So, relationships with your friends and your family. Roommates. Relationships in the workplace. All those types of things. It's all similar. What you're saying, what you're doing in itself may not be bad. How you go about it, man, you're Martha. And so some people are busy doing things, right? But they're not as effective because they have this bad attitude. Do any of you work with people like this? They are so good at what they do, but you don't want to work with them. You're like, whoa, like, give me away. I, just, I don't want to work with that guy. And some of us might be wondering because, you know, we know the Bible so well or we've been a Christian a long time and we're, we're just wondering, why doesn't God use me? Why doesn't, I have all these skills. Maybe it's your attitude. 
Maybe your attitude just stinks. I know people like this. I know people that know theology so well. They have PhDs and, and they, they can do things awesome in terms of teaching and stuff. But when you're around them, it's like toxic. You're like, oh, that attitude is just terrible. They just like to talk about people. And they just like to do this and do that. And then there's the other spectrum too. Right? People who are busy doing things and God's not using them. But then there's these other people here wondering why God doesn't use them. It's because you're lazy. You're not doing anything. You're just doing something that I was going to say that I shouldn't say. Around. And you're on the internet all the time. Or you're, you're whatever. Shopping. I don't know. Home network. I don't know what you're doing. You're just doing it. But you're not doing anything. And you wonder why God doesn't use you. Because you don't do anything. And you ever wonder why some people who seem to have all the talent in the world, they're stuck. They're stuck and they're wondering, oh, why? What's going on? May I suggest that you take a look at your attitude? Take a look at how you do things. It's not because of what you're doing. You might be so talented. You might know so much. But take a look at how you do things. If you don't have people following you, maybe there's a reason. It's not because of your skill set or abilities or giftings. It's more about who you are. Don't want to follow someone like that. They don't, you know, they they just don't want to submit to somebody like that or or fall into an authority authority figure like that, you know? So so the problem in, in Martha wasn't that she wasn't doing anything. She was doing something. She was doing a lot, but she was just grumpy. She's grumpy with her sister and she thought she knew better than Jesus. And, and Martha thought that she knew what Jesus wanted and she thought she knew what Jesus uh, wanted and needed. And so, but she was wrong. She's wrong. And how many of us are like this? Right? We, we, we think that we know what Jesus wants. We think that we know what Jesus needs. How about asking him? Asking him. It's the same thing like for anybody. It's Father's Day, Right? How many ties does your dad have? Does he need all those ties? How about just asking him, Dad, what do you need? What do you want? And, you know, that's what he gets. But, you know, sometimes we're, we're just stuck in this type of thing. Anyway, Jesus told Martha what he wanted. Verse 41, 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. See, Martha needed to look at things differently. Martha needed to change her tone. She needed to change her attitude. She needed to take a look at things with everlasting eyes and not just the temporary service that she was going to give. Mary chose better by listening to Jesus and gaining things that won't be taken away from her. See, Jesus loves us, right? Jesus loves us. And when you're with someone you love, don't you just want to be with them? Don't you just want to be in their presence? You're not expecting them to serve you, are you? When I walk home, am I expecting dinner and a clean house and for my wife to serve me and my kids to bring my sandals and to start massaging me? Or am I just glad to be home? To be home. If you're expecting to be served when you get home, I think you might have marriage problems. I think. And if not, one of the spouses is harboring that inside of them. And festering. And soon it's going to blow up. 
just my hypothesis. Jesus loves us. The natural expression of love is to serve someone. It is. To serve someone you love. But more importantly, it's simply to be in the full presence of someone you love. Just to be there. To be there fully. That you're checked in. I know my wife loves me. I know that, that, and, and I know that partly because she serves me really well. She serves me so well. She does provide me meals. She does do different things around the house. She does take care of the kids. But you know what I love the most? It's not what she serves or how she serves me that I love the most. What I love the most is when I walk in the door and she's in the middle of giving the kids a bath or she's preparing a meal or whatever, she drops everything and she comes to me and just gives me a hug. She just wants to be with me. I get goosebumps with dude. Look at that. That's pretty awesome. That's, 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 what I, that's what I cherish. That she just wants to be with me. I don't need all the service stuff. You know, some people get really uptight about how things are and, and being served and all this kind of stuff and that you have to serve each other and whatever. Man, I just want to be with her. I don't, I don't care. You know, if, 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 we're, if we're tight together and we're connected and we love being with each other, all that other stuff about serving, that'll follow. Because I love her. Right? So I'll do the dishes. Then bother me. I know that we're connected. I know that we're together. I know that, that she's, when, when I come in, that we're, we're, we're with each other. We're, we're being. And so I, it's not to say that I don't appreciate what she does. I really do. But what I really, really like is that I know that she really loves me because she just wants to be with me. Now, before we get absorbed in our service to Jesus Christ, how about being with him first? That we just want to be with him. Because he wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us that is more than service. Right? It's more than just doing things. He, he wants these times of intimacy with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to teach us. Now, wouldn't it be weird if your kids just wanted to serve you all the time? For some of you, you're like, Amen! Yes! Serve me! But... But all they did was chores. That's all they did. They just did chores all the time. And I know some of your parents would love that. But this would be kind of freaky Twilight Zone-ish, wouldn't it? Right? Wouldn't, it be, if, wouldn't it be kind of cold that all they did was they just served you? Always served you, always served you, but they never wanted to be with you. So when you walked in the door, dad's home, mom's home, whatever, I need to go mow the lawn. Or I need to go wash the car. Or I need to go wash the dishes. Or I need to put my clothes away. And they didn't want to be with you. How would that make you feel? You walk in the door and they disperse just to serve you. But they don't want to be with you. They're just busy serving. So Martha thought she knew what Jesus wanted and needed. And she thought she knew what others should be doing. And how many people do we know like this? They like to tell you what you should be doing. In certain ministries. Or, or they know what everyone else should be doing. Your church should be doing that. Or you guys should be doing this. Or your church staff should be doing that. Thinking that they know best. You know, 
We, we send people to different human trafficking workshops and seminars and missions and trainings, and, and we do a lot of stuff with that. We financially support a lot of organizations who deal with human trafficking. We partner with various organizations on this issue. We do a lot of education. We do a lot of preventative work with the kids and the youth programs that we have here. But we still hear, you guys should be doing this. You guys should be doing that. You guys aren't doing anything. Blah, blah, blah. How arrogant. How arrogant. To think that you have all the answers and and how God has been speaking to others on the issue, that you have more answers? It's arrogant. And Jesus is saying, you're wrong. Just sit at my feet. Stop telling people what to do. Stop being a Martha. Inquire from me as to what they should do. Be involved with them and tell them in love what they should do. He's not as concerned about what we're doing as much as how much time we're spending with him, listening to him. Right? To listen to him, teach us. Who knows more than Jesus on any issue anyway? Even the human trafficking issue. For us to be sitting at his feet, and how arrogant to think that any of us would know more than Jesus and just go do something without sitting at his feet and waiting to listen for him. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. See, we could do amazing things. We do amazing things. Right? We, we can feed a few hundred people, uh, the homeless people, every week breakfast, which we do. And every other Friday night, which we do. We can do that. That meal only lasts four to six hours. And that person is hungry afterward. See, our, our homeless ministry, they understand that. We had a meeting about this last week. We understand this. What we'd love to see is people not labor for the food that perishes, but the spiritual food that endures to eternal life. That's something that we've been praying about. That's something that we've been investing towards. And they had their Bible study today. I think they're going through the book of James. And yet there are some who are more concerned about delivering physical food. But the thing is, is we're not a food services agency. That's not what we are. That's Alameda County Food Bank. We are a church. We are a church. What we do is secondary to listening to God and what he wants us to do. Food service is secondary. What we do is secondary. We need to listen to God, right? We're a church. So we have to remember that we sit at Jesus' feet. We listen to him before we do anything. Otherwise, we risk operating out of our flesh, right? We we risk... Working out of our own doing. And you look at Martha, who, who was really well-intentioned to serve, and she was just distracted and grumpy and anxious. And you look at Mary, who's just completely content, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. And then you look at Jesus, who was so kind and so tender and understanding, looking at both of his disciples, Mary and Martha, and, and kind of correcting and guiding Martha. Now, how do we apply this teaching in our life? See, we, we have to be on alert of the dangers of living in a performance-driven Christian spiritual life. Right? That we, all we look at is performance. And we are a church that is really susceptible to this. This is a really big danger in our church. Why? Because Oakland, you can throw any type of resource to it and it's a problem. 
Like anything. Violence, uh, crime, education, homelessness, refugees, uh, human trafficking. All this stuff. There's so much stuff that we can do right here. It will never end. So we're a church that's really susceptible to this. And what we have to do is we have to press the pause button, sit down, talk to Jesus. Because some of the things that we're doing have already fallen into this trap. I'm pretty sure. So may we come to the Lord's feet and sit with him regarding our ministries and seek what he desires from us. Now this doesn't mean that uh, you know, you're, you have, you're employed by somebody. And you have to debate them on every issue about like, oh, I have to sit at the Lord's feet before I do this. If it's your job as a Christian, do the job as a testimony to the Lord. Don't be that freaky Christian guy in your office. They're like, oh, I got to pray about this. Listen to your boss. Right? Listen to your manager. Do as he or she is doing it's the same thing in ministry not everything is a debate yes if the lord has called you to not do something of course don't do it if he's called you to do something of course do it but we are under authority and submission to somebody else or other people i am in submission to our elder board i take counsel from them i I, I, I share with them my vision. I ask them for prayer. And we all have a unity together. And then we go forward. We have a ministry staff. I'm open to discussion. I'm open to talking about stuff. But we have a vision. And that has to be carried through. And there is a certain, num- certain amount of submission and authority to listen to that. And to carry that through. To do as unto the Lord. Right? And it's not about us not doing anything. We are to serve. We are to do things. It's, it's just about prioritizing the Lord's will before we go about doing things in His name. That before you go about doing stuff, to, to sit down at His feet and ask Him if He's truly led you that way. And not to be rogue and independent. Like, it, like if you were at this church and you just went and did something on your own and you didn't have the backing of anybody else, you're just being rogue. You're just, you're just going off to doing your own thing independent and without, without the buy-in of our entire body. Like, have the elders come around and pray for stuff. Have, talk, to, talk to the staff people and, and, and talk about things and how this fits in to the overall vision of the church and stuff. Let, let's do things together and collaborate and stop being all these independent like hotshots or something. Let's come together in unity and do stuff together. Because does he really want us to do what we are doing? And I think if we sat at his feet and we were patient to listen to him and and glean from that, he would give other people the same ideas, the same visions, to have people come around you. If you are so tired in your ministry, wondering, how come no one comes behind this? How come I just keep doing this and nothing's happening? Maybe you haven't sat at his feet. Maybe it's something you just did on your own. Does he want us to serve in his name independent of him? 
He doesn't. And many of the things that we do are really good. We do a lot of good things. But have we gone out to do things in his name before we've even asked him? And are we assuming what he wants? Seeking his will is the priority, not our service to him. Seeking what he wants. Is our commitment to Jesus or is our commitment for Jesus? Those are different things. Because I would say it's both. That we're committed to Jesus and we're committed for Jesus. But commitment to Jesus is our first priority. Right? How can we be committed for Jesus if we're not committed to Jesus? Right? And if we are committed to Jesus, we can be committed for him. And so commitment to Jesus is, is first. And our attitude to Jesus is more of a priority than our service for him. It's not either or. It's both. But there's a priority. And the depth of our relationship to Jesus is more of a priority than the amount of service that we perform for him. And it's not about the amount that we can achieve for Jesus Christ. It's about our commitment to Jesus Christ. And let's not think for a second that any of us in Christian ministry are irreplaceable. We're all, we're all replaceable. We're all dispensable. Okay, and if we're not dispensable, if we think that all the ministry revolves around us, may I suggest that that may be a work of the flesh. That you've situated things in such a fashion that it all depends on you instead of the Spirit. Because if it's of God, if it's of the Spirit, He's going to take care of it and any of us are dispensable. Any of us are replaceable. Three years ago, we had a really gifted preacher teacher who was the lead pastor here. He was really gifted. And most people back then would have thought that he was indispensable, that he was irreplaceable. But regeneration is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of God. And so that is what kept us going, right? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It wasn't the work of one man. And even though he was really talented and we were questioning, uh, would we survive? We were talking about dissolving the church because our finances plummeted. We lost half our elder board. We lost half of our ministry staff. The attendance here was just dropping. We were just kind of wondering, amazing what can happen if we sit at the Lord's feet. The first thing we did was we shut everything down and we made everything a prayer meeting. To seek the Lord's will. All home groups were prayer meetings. All small groups, prayer meetings. We're just going to seek the Lord until He answers. The very next month, I think it was the highest giving month we've ever experienced. Ever. From zero to our highest giving month. And then ministries started flourishing and we, all this stuff started coming together. And the Lord was, was so patient with the people that stayed to, to have me work on my preaching and my teaching because it was the first time I got on behind the pulpit week after week. That was just three years ago. Before that, I probably taught like four times a year. Just whenever that pastor was gone, I'd plug in. And then so now I was here going week after week. And, and so some of the people were just so patient. Some not so patient. But a lot of them patient. I think this row right here wasn't patient. Um, <laughs> 
but how the Lord worked in that and how he was working in me and, 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 and helping me to, to learn how to preach and how to teach. And I'm still learning and I'm still growing. I mean, I'm relatively new. I've probably only done this 150, 200 times. Right? Three years, once a week. Oh, no, twice a week. Oh, maybe double that. Three or 600 times. And then, but, but God started opening up a lot of different opportunities for me, too. Like, I started teaching at conferences and retreats and all this other stuff. And I was like, this is crazy. I never felt called to teach or preach or something like that. It was just something that I, I had to do. And, and we were sitting at the Lord's feet. And, and the elders were like, yep, you're going up. I was like, What? That's crazy. Like, I had all this other stuff to do, too. It's not like we hired more people. That was just thrown on top of everything else I had to do. But how the Lord helped, and how the Lord sustained, and how the Lord held up. And I look back at it now, and it was just so crazy. I was talking to my wife about it. She was like, I have no idea how we made that, made through that. I have no idea. And I, I don't even remember, like, being there for my middle child. I was just... All the time, I was just trying to keep the church afloat. I don't even remember her as a baby, it's so sad. Because I was doing stuff all the time. But the sacrifices we made because of what God called us to, and, and it's awesome now, and she's really close to me, and we, we're buds and stuff like that, so it's all good. But church and ministry is not just about doing. It's not just about being busy. And keeping a church afloat or being busy in, in ministry. Which at times may just be us working out of our flesh. It's about sitting with Jesus and then doing something. And you may be busy out of your mind after you've sat with him. And he sends you to go do something and you might be the busiest you've ever been. And God knew that time for me. He knew it because I used to work 60 to 100 hours a week in my secular job. During earnings season, when, when the earnings reports came out for the company, I worked 100-hour weeks for two-week stints. I was, I was going crazy working. But he had me do that for a reason, because in the ministry, when I came to that place, that's what he had me do. Work like a dog. And he prepared me for that. But that was after sitting at his feet. And it's, it's about completely being sold out to Jesus. See, what we do isn't wrong. In fact, what we do might be a really, really good thing. But we need to prioritize sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. And that was the difference between Martha and Mary here. One prioritized listening to Jesus, while the other one prioritized working for Jesus. So may we be faithful and regularly just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him in expectation, listening to him in prayer and study and meditation and worship in our spiritual disciplines, submitting to him what he tells us, regardless of how hard it is. And may we not be so quick to be absent of his direction, and may we serve after we've invested time humbly sitting at his feet. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, for wisdom and discernment in figuring out the things that we're so busy doing, but they weren't from you. And that you would give us the courage to move forward, whether that is to cut those things or to change them or to add something to them, whatever that may be, may we be obedient to whatever you tell us. And I ask, God, that you would 
Bless these people here, Lord. Bless them with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.